This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode of For Real is brought to you by How Do I Unremember This by Danny Pellegrino from Sourcebooks. With refreshing honesty and jaw-dropping absurdity, the host of the Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino podcast invites readers to experience his most formative moments in life, from his hometown in Ohio to his career in entertainment today, and all the heartfelt and hilarious moments in between. Author Danny Pellegrino is the host of the Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino podcast and consistently sells out arenas with his live shows. Pop culture icon and New York Times bestselling author Andy Cohen calls How Do I Unremember This a delight. How Do I Remember This is a perfect pick for fans of David Sedaris and anyone looking for a little 90s nostalgia. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is. Or try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a Book Riot podcast and is hosted by me, Alice Burton, and fellow rioter Kim Eukera. We're recording on Wednesday, March 9th. Hello, Kim. Hello, Alice. How are you today? Um, I'm doing swell. How are you? You know, I'm I'm doing well. I'm leaving for a vacation tomorrow, and so I'm a little discombobulated trying to like get my head on straight, but but I'm excited to be going somewhere that is warm. Oh, warm is good uh, in Midwest pre-spring. Um, are you? Do you know what books you're packing? Oh my gosh, I have been going back and forth on like what books am I going to pack off and on for like two weeks now. Like I love picking books for vacation, except then I get in this mode where I'm like, oh, I really want to read this, but I'll save it for vacation. And then all of a sudden, the like I'm saving it for vacation pile is really enormous. <laughs> so one of the books on it is uh, Scoundrel, that new Sarah Weinman book about a, a guy who is on death row and then convinces people to let him off and then he tries to murder someone else. That happened in an X-Files episode. Yeah, yeah. This is not <laughs> X-Files. This is real life. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other one I'm really excited about is called The Rose Code by Kate Quinn, which is fiction about um, female codebreakers during World War II. That's a, a favorite topic of mine. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Do you have any any uh, follow-up for this week? I do. So um, – I feel like we should have talked about this on the podcast before, but we haven't in a while. The Dropout, which is the Hulu uh, adaptation of the Elizabeth Holmes Theranos story, it's fictionalized, mostly true kind of a thing. That finally came out. They had the first three episodes, and I think the fourth one is out today. Uh, So I started watching that, and it is – it's weird. It's real weird. (laughs) Can you define weird in this context? So I think her name is Amanda Seedfried is playing Elizabeth Holmes. And she is really, like, really putting mustard on it. Like, she's got the <laughs> eyes are just huge all the time. And she's playing her almost – she's playing her, like, way more awkward than I ever imagined her to be. The relationship that they're putting together between Elizabeth and Sunny Balwani is very unsettling, which, I mean, I guess in real life, like, I get, I didn't think about it a lot as I was reading Bad Blood, but – it is really weird and unsettling, their age difference and, like, when they met and how they interacted with each other. But I feel like the show is, like, really leaning into that in a way that makes – like, the whole thing is just way more uncomfortable than I remember the book being when I was reading it, you know? Oh, wow. 
but it, but I like it and I want to keep watching it, but it's just, it's much, everything feels really heightened. And I don't know that it like needs to be heightened, right? Like the story by itself is pretty like, what is happening here? So I don't, I don't know. I don't know, but I'm definitely going to finish it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, let us let us all know how that, how yeah. that goes. I'll, I'll recap it. Recap it later. Between that and Kate McKinnon in the, the Joe versus Carol oh, gosh, yeah. show, um, it's really a time for blonde white women in <laughs> limited series inspired by true events. What a time. What a time. Do you have any follow-up for uh, for this week? Um, I finished Team of Rivals, the Adoris Kearns Goodwin book about Lincoln and his cabinet. And I'm deeply amazed by that. It was not that like you would finish it, but just like it's so long. It was so good. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. Tell me more. It's just like okay, I listened to it on audiobook, which I fully recommend. It was so great. And I just used I did my little coloring app. I have like a little like it's I think it's called Color Me Happy. I don't remember. But for all the hours and hours of my life I've spent on it. And I just put on I like open the coloring app and I listen to a book and it's so awesome. It's like my happy place. And color me happy, if you will. <laughs> it's basically instead of focusing a lot on Lincoln's biography, you don't really get a lot of that at all. Like you don't hear about his childhood and like she kind of like glosses over a lot of his life and it mainly just zooms you to his presidency and then also gives you background on the really major people in his cabinet. Like I think it talks about all of them, but it really focuses on William Henry Seward, Salmon P. Chase, uh <laughs> those are the two main ones. There are definitely other people that I could remember if I wanted to spend more time on it. But <laughs> Sal Salmon P. Chase it, it leaves you with the impression that he kind of sucked and then William Henry Seward was seems like a really good friend and also like <laughs> overall a pretty good guy. But I definitely cried at the end when Lincoln was assassinated. Aww. And because you just, you know, the audiobook is like 40 hours. And you just spend yeah. so much time. And it, if anything, it really solidified. I, I grew up in Illinois. And so I grew up going to all these Lincoln sites. And you kind of are like, yeah, yeah, Abraham Lincoln. I am such a Lincoln fan now. Like, <laughs> But at the same time, because of my nonfiction predilection, I was like, hmm, this is one person's perspective on Lincoln. Uh. So now I should read some other books about Lincoln to see if this is accurate. Because it does come off a little bit like a uh, hagiography. Mm -hmm. Is that how you pronounce that word? It's not hagiography. That sounds wrong. I think it's hagiography. Yeah. Anyway. So 2022 is going to be your year of Abraham Lincoln? My year of large books and the year of Abraham Lincoln. And when I was, I went out into the living room and I was... <laughs> This was crying to my wife about how Abraham Lincoln was killed. And she was like, do you want to go back to the Lincoln Museum? Because there's a wonderful Lincoln Museum in Springfield, Illinois. And I was like, yes. Oh, my gosh. So your wife is amazing. Might get to go back there, which I'm really excited about. I went to it for my 21st birthday. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. I'm very happy for you. Thanks. It's a great book. Um, Let's talk about our sponsor. <laughs> which is TBR, Book Riot's personalized book recommendation service. It is time to check out TBR. This is Book Riot's subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. With TBR, you tell our professional book nerds, we call them bibliologists, which is fun, 
about your likes and dislikes, whether you want comfort or stretch reads, and of course, what your reading goals are. And then sit back while they comb through your Goodreads account, if you have one, and handpick recommendations and must-reads for you. TBR offers plans to receive three hardcover books in the mail or three recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. And the recommendations-only level is available worldwide. After each order, give your bibliologist feedback, update your requests to stay in line with your reading goals and expanding horizons, and basically have your own personal book concierge. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. It only takes a few minutes. That's mytbr.co. Excellent. All right, next we're going to jump into some nonfiction in the news. Um, I just have one story that is... It's kind of, when I read the headline, I think it's it's going to sound like a Mad Lib of all sorts of things that I really love. And so the headline in this Variety article is, Netflix orders White House mystery drama The Residents from Shondaland for the People creator. So <laughs> Netflix is doing a Shondaland, or Shonda Rhimes is doing a show for Netflix based on Kate Anderson Bauer's book, The Residence, which is a nonfiction book about uh, how the White House functions. It's like an upstairs, downstairs White House book. And it is, it's a great book. And so they're making a mystery, a murder mystery drama series based on this. According to the article, it is described as a screwball whodunit set in the upstairs, downstairs, and backstairs of the White House among the eclectic staff of the world's most famous mansion. The show is set to feature, quote, one dead body, one wildly eccentric detective, and one disastrous state dinner. It is going to have eight episodes. And uh, yeah, I just, I think that sounds amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I, I genuinely like cannot even tell you how amazing that sounds to me. Like it doesn't really make any sense to me that they're like, why are they using the residents as the inspiration for like a White House murder mystery series? But I guess like that's cool, and I hope that uh, Kate Anderson Brower is getting paid money for them to adapt her book in this way. But yeah, I I don't know. It just that just sounds amazing. <laughs> wow, I'm extremely happy for you. <laughs> It's just like very much uh, in my alley. There's uh, there's nothing in the article really about when it will be out or anything like that. So we'll just have to see. But some sometime in the future, Shonda Rhimes is doing a Netflix murder mystery show set at the White House. And uh, I'm here for that. I mean, that does sound fun. Right? It, do- it does. Yeah. It does. And I like, why is this a thing kind of way? But, you know, it's fine. <laughs> So that is uh, that's all the news for this week. I'm sure there's more, but that's the only thing that matters to me. <laughs> uh, all right. So with that, we're going to jump into new nonfiction, which is books that are out now or coming out soon that we are excited to tell you about. So my first pick is True Crime. And I just want to say, like, before I even get started, like, huge trigger warnings on this one, uh, particularly for sexual assault, but uh, just, like, crime in general. So uh, the book is called Tell Me Everything, The Story of a Private Investigation by Erica Krauss, uh, which comes out March 15th from Flatiron Books. And this is a book that is uh, part memoir and part true crime. And so it is Erica Krauss. It's her, her um, a story about how she got to become a private investigator who helped crack open this enormous uh, sexual assault investigation at a university involving uh, the university football team. So 
the book starts out with uh, the author kind of talking about how she has one of those faces where people just sort of tell her things. And she's kind of just graduated and not really sure what she wants to do. And she gets approached by a lawyer to be a investigate lawsuits for his firm as a private investigator. And so she quickly realizes she does not know how to be a private investigator and gets involved. It's not super clear to me, like, if she's this inexperienced as a PI, why she gets put on this important case. But uh, the lawyer assigns her to investigate this sexual assault where a college student was attacked by football players and recruits at a party uh, on campus. And so Erica has a, the author has a history with sexual violence, which makes her think she should probably not take this assignment, but she decides to anyway, and then goes into investigating this case. Uh, the lawyer is trying to make a Title IX case that uh, the university and the whole system was complicit in these women's sexual assaults. I, I don't remember exactly the like legal arguments about it, but he's trying to make a big case about it. And so she is uh, hired by him to talk to people on campus to try and figure out what's going on. And so she, over the five years that she investigates this case, she learns about being a PI, tracking down witnesses, um, and then really gets into this case. So the book is kind of about her um, learning to be a PI, her grappling with her own history of sexual violence as she investigates this case, and then uh, what the case actually was about and how it grew into a a huge national story as well as a historic civil rights case for the people involved. Uh, So it is, like I said at the beginning, trigger warnings for sexual assault. It's uh, She describes in a level of detail what happened at the university around the case that she's investigating uh, that I... It was unexpected to me when I got to that chapter. I don't know what I was expecting, but I was just, um, it was a lot. So I think that's important to know. But uh, the writing is really great. She, it's, it's, I like books about people like learning to do a job. And so that's kind of fun to see her sort of fumbling through her experience trying to become a PI. And uh, it's a really important case and an interesting story. So uh, that is Tell Me Everything, the story of a private investigation by Erica Krauss. So that seems really good. I feel like it would be too hard for me. It, it is. It was. I was reading along, and it was like good and interesting. And then I got to one of the chapters where they like sort of go into some details about the case, and I was like, "Oh goodness, this is very intense." Uh, and I had to put it down for a bit. Um, so I think that is there's certain there's a level of intensity in it that I wasn't expecting, and so I I don't want to be really clear about those warnings. Well, I feel like this is where our balance is good, right? Because you are better with like more intense like serious subjects which i find really challenging and so then we get uh we get kind of the lighter side and then the heavier side depending on what people want so well you read a lot of history books and those are often like quite literally heavy so (laughs) (laughs) there we are that was a joke I made an accounting joke today about something being in the red, and I thought it was real funny, and I got kind of an eye roll about it. So <laughs> I'm on a I'm on a roll today. Oh my gosh! Well, actually, speaking of of I guess slightly heavier stuff, but not uh, not not the most. Uh, my next pick is "Read Dangerously: The Subversive Power of Literature in Troubled Times" by Azar Nafizi. So. Azar Nafizi wrote Reading Lolita in Tehran in 2003, I think, which now I'm thinking about it is almost 20 years ago. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I love that book, though. Oh, my goodness. So this is more of a, 
I was going to say compilation, which is not exactly true. So it's structured as this series of letters to her father. She wrote it from, I think, June, no, November 2019 to June 2020, which is like, oh my gosh, what a time. Mm -hmm. There's so much happening. And it's split into these different sections, like via the letters. I think there's five. And one is uh, focused on like Plato and Ray Bradbury and Salman Rushdie focusing on like sort of this discomfort that is involved in seeking the truth. And uh, another is Zora Neale Hurston and Toni Morrison talking about the the powerful heroines that they created. And they're just like going into a lot of close readings of literature and seeing how it can be applied to our times in both like having these sort of like dealing with these difficult situations and also I don't like when people are like, this saved me. But, you know, kind of in a way, like, you know, like saving, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, uh, that's that's my eloquent way of putting that. But, I mean, that's alluded to in the title, right, with this the subversive power of literature in troubled times. Like, this is how these are the both ways that it can challenge us, but also sustain us through what is happening right now, which is quite a lot. So... This is uh, also focusing on Nafizi's life living in the Islamic Republic of Iran and then as an immigrant in the United States, being a literature professor in both places and talking about uh, how we can engage others through literature. So I just like, I'm really excited about this one. And (laughs) again, it is one of those things that, while I do have a difficulty in engaging with, as I was just talking about with Kim with sort of like, not like, I guess, darker things, Um, Mm -hmm. because my brain gets easily consumed by them. And it's really hard to come back out of it. But something like this, I find a really like an easier way of getting into it, where it's not only structured as letters, but also done through looking at like books, right. And so Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily about immediate experience, which can, that's sort of the part that can be overwhelming for me. So, yeah, just uh, excited that this is out now. And again, that is Read Dangerously, The Subversive Power of Literature in Troubled Times by Azar Nafizi. I'm so glad you talked about that one. I was just thinking about reading Lolita in Tehran today, and, like, I was looking it up again, and, though like, that book uses Western literature to sort of explore bigger themes about, like, what women in Iran – or her students in Iran were experiencing at the time that she did the book club with them. And so I love this idea of this one as, like, a – a companion, I guess, to look at like how like using literature still, but like how the world has changed since then and like in a different context and coming from maybe like the perspective of being more in the United States, whereas Alita was when she was a professor. Yeah, this sounds really fascinating kind of as a companion to that book, which is very widely loved, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. That sounds like a great one. So my second pick is, I never thought of it that way, How to Have Fearlessly Curious Conversations in Dangerously Divided Times by Monica Guzman, uh, which comes out March 8th from Ben Bella Books. Um, And so this one is, I had a hard time finding like a second book for this week. Like, I don't don't know what was going on. Nothing was really like landing for me. Um, And then I've followed, Monica Guzman is a former journalist, and so I followed her online for a long time. And then she was uh, tweeting this week about her book. And I was like, oh, yes, that's right. That one sounded fun. So I found it and I started reading it. And I was like, dang, this is like what I needed to read right now. So she is uh, 
the kind of setup of the book or the kind of opening to, to frame it is that she is the liberal daughter of Mexican immigrants who voted two times for Donald Trump. And so she writes about how, like, when she tells that to people, they're like, oh, my gosh, like, how are you even, like – interacting with your parents anymore. Like, what is that like? And it is this kind of dividing thing where people think that there should be this huge division between them. And so she talks about how, like, there is, and they have these debates, and they, like, argue about all of these things, but that she still, like, loves and cares and is has deep relationship with her parents. And so she, the book is kind of a way of looking, like, if we're, if we're so divided and we can't really see other people, how can, what are ways that we can try and bridge some of those gaps between us and the people that we want to maintain relationship with or what we want to be connected with? And so, um, she uses her experiences as a journalist, her experience as the chief storyteller of this uh, organization called Braver Angels and looks at how broken conversations are like stymieing us from really connecting with each other. And so the book is kind of setting the stage of like why some of those things are happening, but then really tries to give some like tools and examples and stories about ways in which people have been able to cross some of these divides to have like real and genuine conversations. Um, So she writes about conversations that she's had or organized or witnessed from kind of across the United States on social media and different places, and even like her own family on election night to try and figure out like how to do that like how can you like ask and understand how can you learn from these really tense interactions that you might have with people who disagree and how can you kind of cross boundaries and find a common ground with people and she's really clear in the beginning that like this is about finding common ground and connecting with people that you like want to do that with like it's not about finding common ground with people that you just that you don't have that you don't have a relationship with. And so I think I don't know, like I just it was really resonant for me because I have just been thinking a lot about like feeling dug in and like angry and just the idea of being fearlessly curious uh, just really like sparked something in my brain where I thought like, yes, like that is the kind of a view that I would like to bring out into the world that I have sort of been losing, it feels like a little bit lately. So like particular to me maybe, but I also think that this could be a really interesting book for people who are trying to have some complicated conversations with people that feels insurmountable right now given everything that is happening. So I never thought of it that way. How to have fearlessly curious conversations in dangerously divided times by Monica Guzman. You know who was really good at that? Hmm. Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I believe that. I believe that. Just like the greatest president we've ever had. Anyway, um, no, that sounds really good. It was just reminding me of I was just in Florida for some reason um, seeing my dad and we were on a boat to see dolphins and <laughs> this is connected, I promise. We were on a boat to see dolphins like my wife and I with my dad uh, and his wife and this boat drove by with like all of these very right wing flags. And my dad was like, Oh, Hey, look. And he didn't mean it in any negative way. And just in that moment, I was like, I don't even like want to engage this because it's like, we're on a nice boat ride. But like, how do you not understand that? Mm -hmm. Like I am sitting here, like your daughter is sitting here with her wife. And maybe these things are a sign of like, like not feeling safe and all, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, yeah. Oh my gosh. So, but like this kind of, I feel like this could be really good for like sort of figuring out how to start those conversations Mm -hmm. that are so difficult and frequently you're like, well, I don't want to ruin, you know, the moment or like this, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's good. 
Uh, on a totally different note, I will now talk about balloons. So <laughs> the last new release I have for this week is Lady Icarus, Balloon Mania, and the Brief Bold Life of Sophie Blanchard by Deborah Haynes. This is a middle grade biography of the early 19th century balloonist, Sophie Blanchard, also known as Madame Blanchard. I did not know anything about her before this week, and she's really fascinating. She was um, the aeronaut of the official festivals uh, named by Napoleon Bonaparte. And then, after the restoration of the monarchy, uh, Louis XVIII called her the official aeronaut of the restoration. So... She didn't, she seems like she just worked for anyone. But she also, so she started doing ballooning with her husband, who then had a heart attack in a balloon, fell out of it and died. And then she just kept on ballooning. So she performed like she, there would be festivals and parties and she would just have her balloon up in the air, like stationary. And she would like launch like dogs out of it. (laughs) Just, you know, give the people what they want. And... There was, like, Napoleon was trying to get her to figure out how to invade England via balloons. And she had to, like, (laughs) talk him down from that idea, so to speak. Because she was like, um, so there's a lot of wind (laughs) 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 when you cross the channel. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, fortunately dissuaded him. Although that would have been funny, but dangerous. And uh, she did, in fact, die in a ballooning accident, which I feel like just was almost inevitable back then. While And then her gravestone is very... I was talking about this on Twitter this week. So she died because her balloon caught on fire. She fell out. And her gravestone, like the monument, is a balloon on fire. Like, carved out of stone. And that just feels like in very poor taste. I don't really understand what they were thinking. That's so bizarre. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So, uh, again, it's it's a middle grade bio. It is, uh, it's got a lot of pictures, which is interesting because, again, early 19th century. So there weren't photos. But there are definitely engravings. Um, So that is Lady Icarus, Balloon Mania, and the Brief Bold Life of Sophie Blanchard by Deborah Haynes. That sounds super good i don't know just something about like a lady balloonist and that thing about napoleon is amazing too like it's balloon mania (laughs) why would you launch an invasion with balloons that's a terrible idea that's a terrible idea well i mean hannibal hannibal did it with elephants right crossing the alps and i'm sure people said that was bad so maybe napoleon was like i'll be like hannibal but with balloons But like you can just shoot them down oh yeah i don't know yeah that sounds amazing i'm really glad you (laughs) talked about it uh, I have I have thoughts about balloons, I guess, that I, that I didn't know that I had until right now at this very moment. All right. Our second sponsor for this week is Book Riot's newsletters. Did you know that Book Riot has over 25 newsletters covering every genre, as well as book news and deals? Sign up for book deals to get notified about the best book sales of the day, handpicked by our editorial staff. There's Today in Books, summing up the most interesting literary headlines at each day, the Riot Rundown, which is a roundup of our most exciting new content, and the New Books newsletter that compiles a list of the week's best new releases and comes to you every Tuesday, which, if you didn't know, is new release day in publishing. We also have newsletters for horror fans, romance readers, YA enthusiasts, mystery and thriller aficionados, and more. Just go to bookriot.com newsletters to sign up for whichever ones are most interesting to you. 
All right. And with that, we're going to jump into this week's uh, weekly theme. So uh, March is Women's History Month. And so uh, in honor of that, we wanted to pick something that recognized the month. So we decided we would focus on books by trans women for uh, this week's weekly theme. Do you have anything else you wanted to, to add before we get into the books? Oh, yes. So especially in light of, well, first of all, we just realized we hadn't done an episode highlighting specifically the works of trans women, and then we figured it's Women's History Month, so let's do that. But also there has been, I don't know necessarily if it's increasing amounts of conversation, or not even conversation, but just bad things said, (laughs) Um, particularly uh, online, about, it's basically by uh, trans-exclusionary radical feminists, and it's, it's bad. (laughs) Like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to say it without, um, using swears. Uh, essentially, they're, they're just saying hurtful things that we would like to just really emphasize on this podcast, that we support trans women, and we would like to lift them up for this month. And so especially in the world of nonfiction, because they've written a lot of good nonfiction books. So yeah, here we go. Perfect. Thank you. So uh, my first pick is called Fairest by Meredith Talisman, uh, which is a coming-of-age memoir about a Filipino boy with albinism who transitions as a college student, and uh, that's that's the story. So uh, Meredith grew up in a rural village in the Philippines and was was born with albinism. And so that was a real challenge in that community. Um, just was. And so uh, she grew up with this parental neglect and also this uh, promise to try and get to the United States to get U.S. citizenship. And so um, found a lot of comfort in, with her grandmother, um, who was a really supportive force, even when she was treated differently because of her, the way she looked. And so um, uh, when she immigrated to the United States, uh, she became or she was perceived as white often, and so uh, was able to travel in a lot of different circles of privilege that perhaps wouldn't have been open to someone who uh, was not perceived as white, but also had to navigate a lot of other questions around uh, class and sexuality and um, her place within the gay community. Uh, and so uh, when she um, came out as trans, she emerged as an artist and an activist questioning boundaries around gender. And so transitioned to a woman despite the risk of uh, losing a relationship that was really important to her. So uh, this memoir is kind of just about a lot of different things, a lot of those different stories, a lot of intersectionality and um, experiences of privilege and places of not having privilege. Um, And I just, I, it's really, it's really fascinating. Um, Just a lot of complicated things to talk about that I think uh, Talisman does in a really effective and engaging and thoughtful way. Um, I really appreciate just how much she's able to like just illuminate the way that these different identities play off of each other and connect to each other and and affect how one exists in the world. So that is Fairest by Meredith Talisman. Oh, I hadn't heard of that one. That sounds really good. Yeah, it it, it is. It's, It's really good. Um, my first pick for this section is, in fact, a play, which I'm excited to highlight because we never talk about yeah. plays because they're usually fiction. This is How to Fail as a Pop Star by Vivek Shraya. Um, it's a one-woman play, so she is telling her her story of her failed journey to become a pop star. And Vivek Shraya is really fascinating. I last year read my first book of hers, which was nonfiction um, for there was a there was a trans readathon, 
I don't remember what month, but I picked it up as part of that. And it was called I'm Afraid of Men. It's very short. So that was her first nonfiction. Then this is uh, this came out in 2020, the How to Fail as a Pop Star. And in it, she talks about her dreams of fame when she was a child, what her early experiences in the music industry were. And I mean, she has like multiple albums out. So it's not she didn't like fail as a musician. (laughs) (laughs) Like she has legitimately like gone around and like toured and done all this. Um, She also, in addition to writing this play and doing this music, uh, she has like an imprint. She like in order to encourage more work, she has collections of poetry. Uh, Her first poetry collection was called Even This Page is White which I love that title. Um, Her imprint is VS Books, which supports young writers of color. And yeah, she has graphic nonfiction. She's like written novels. There's just, (laughs) she's like done everything. I don't understand the fact that the word fail is in her one woman show. I think that's hilarious. (laughs) And I know it's specifically fail as a pop star, but it's just like, oh my gosh, she's done so much. So, uh, but yeah, her early experiences in the music industry, uh, what sort of like the the rises and falls of her journey and why she didn't become a pop star. It also talks about racism and transphobia in the music industry. And it's just, uh, I, I'm excited again, just to talk about it as a play. I think that that is a really interesting way to kind of check off a nonfiction read for the year. And I think I think you can pretty much only do that through through one person shows. So mm-hmm. anyway, that is How to Fail as a Pop Star, a play by Vivek Shraya. That is a really cool pick. Yeah, I looked at one of Vivek Shraya's books um, when I was kind of thinking through what I might want to talk about, and I couldn't get it from the library. So I'm really glad you talked about that one. Because, uh, yeah, I just, I just that, sounds, that sounds fun and just a different approach. She's really, really interesting. That's awesome. Um, All right. So my second pick is I feel like maybe 2022 is going to be my year of talking about anthologies uh, of collections by different authors because that's what this one is. Uh, It's called To My Trans Sisters, which is – and it's a book edited by Charlie Craigs. Charlie Craigs is a transgender activist from the UK. And so this book is a collection of letters by trans women written to their younger selves. And so they're sharing lessons that they learned through their journey to womanhood and kind of celebrating the things that they have learned and achieved in that space. So it is, um, there are a hundred letters in this book and they range from just like a couple of paragraphs to like many, many pages long. And they just, they cover this huge variety of different voices and topics. So it's pretty heavy in like UK representation as far as I can tell, which makes sense given where the author is from. But there are people from around the world uh, writing these letters. Um, There are politicians and models. And uh, there's one woman who, um, I can't remember what her name was, but she's like one of the earliest people to get gender reassignment surgery in like the 1950s and 60s. So she's writing this letter as like an 80-year-old woman. And it's just, it was super interesting. There are are uh, actors. There are. Um, there's one from a woman named Bryn who was in the military and transitioned after leaving military service. And that one is very specific to people who are transgender in the military and like how they can navigate that system. 
uh, just uh, the range of this is so interesting to me. There's ones that are like very um, just like, yay, go you, like you can do this, you're awesome. And then there are a lot that are like very specific about like very specific kinds of advice that a person who is a trans woman or is going through their transition would need to know like about dealing with body hair or makeup tips or much more like serious and complicated things than that too. But it just is, it's so fascinating, the variety of voices and the ways that these hundred different people decided to write a letter to their younger selves to like give them advice and tell them it was going to be okay. Um, And it's just, um, it's, I think it's really inspiring. And I'm clearly not the audience for this book, but I, I have to imagine that it is a great book for someone who is transgender or is in the middle of that transition experience or any of that stuff because it just there's so much in there that and it's very like many of many people talk about how they weren't supported others talk about how they were just a ton of different experiences and a really cool collection of of essays that are all kind of taking the same approach they all start with dear something um and so i just i really like that and i think it's really cool and i'm glad it exists so that is to my trans sisters by charlie craigs oh i just added that to my to read list yeah, it's it's just fun to I had it was interesting to kind of jump around and just pick different essays and they have biographies of each person at the beginning so you can kind of learn a little bit about them and then read whatever they've decided to share. It's really cool. Yeah, that's great. My last pick is Tomorrow Will Be Different, Love, Loss, and the Fight for Trans Equality by Sarah McBride. So I want to start this off by saying this came out in 2018, which obviously a lot has happened since then, including uh, Sarah McBride became the first openly transgender state senator for Delaware, which is amazing. And... Obviously, also just a lot has happened in the country, but McBride is generally credited with there's um, legislation in Delaware that banned discrimination on the basis of gender identity in employment, housing, insurance, and public accommodations. So that's really amazing. And in her autobiography, she talks about her transitioning and becoming an advocate for LGBTQ rights. She came out when she was student body president at American University, which I can't imagine. Like, Mm -hmm. it's, it's so hard just to come out as gay and just also to come out as trans during, like, pre even, I guess even now, I can't imagine. So, you know, it's just like, that amount of bravery is awesome. And then talking about in 2016, at the Democratic National Convention, she was the first transgender woman to address a major political convention and talks about just like what her life was like as a child what she what her whole like process was to you know becoming who she is and then like her her career as an adult at least up to 2018 so i wanted to talk about at least one um like political like advocate you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) um just gives me hope so again that is tomorrow will be different love loss and the fight for trans equality by sarah mcbride yeah i read that one a couple years maybe three years ago now i think when it came out it's really it's really great it's a night it's a good like I don't want to say primer exactly, but like it's very straightforward. And so like if you're a person who is not particularly familiar with transgender people or like what that whole experience is like, I think it's very just explanatory in like a a gentle and thoughtful way, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's a good way of explaining it. 
Yeah. So it's just, I, it, yeah, I really like that one. I just thought I felt after I got done, I was like, yes, like I, I appreciated the sort of like the comprehensiveness of that whole story and then like learning about her political activism and kind of what those experiences have been like too as a transgender person. I just, yeah, really good. I really like that one. And now she's a state senator. Yes, that's so cool. Awesome for her. Uh, all right. So uh, with that, we will wrap up this week as we normally do by talking about the books we're reading uh, right now at this very moment. So uh, the book that I think I'm going to take on the plane tomorrow is From Hollywood with Love, The Rise and Fall and Rise Again of the Romantic Comedy by Scott Meslow. Uh, this is a book about the history of romantic comedies from approximately Harry Met Sally to All the Boys I've Loved Before, so 2020. And it's just about like the evolution of uh, romantic comedies over that time. So I just finished the chapter on When Harry Met Sally. So it talks about like the how Nora Ephron and Mob Marshall like met and came up with the movie and wrote it and some of the like behind the scenes of filming it and what it kind of says about romantic comedies and how it like set the stage for a lot of uh, comic romantic comedies to come. And then it's going to go kind of all the way through the the rise and fall and then the like resurgence of romantic comedies that we are in the middle of right now. So the author did an interview in an email newsletter I listened to and I got really excited about the book and it's, it's really fun. It's just like lighthearted and who doesn't love a rom-com? I was about to ask what the rom-coms are that have come out and then i was like oh they're just all like out on netflix yeah mm-hmm. there's not <laughs> there's not a lot of like mainstream rom-coms lately so i think i'm interested to see like what the book says about sort of that shift to like streaming and kind of rom-coms co- falling out of like mainstream favor and into sort of streaming experiences did you ever watch the david tennant one where he's on an island in scotland and he runs into Kelly. Oh, shoot. What's her name? She's a Nanny McPhee. Nope, it's gone. Anyway, so he runs into this girl <laughs> and he is supposed to be marrying this like movie star who is also very nice. But basically, he slowly falls in love with the girl on the island and no, I don't breaks know off that. his wedding. Oh, my gosh. I obviously can't remember the name or anything about it, but it's really, really cute. And I recommend it. Excellent. Just look up like David Tennant, rom-com, <laughs> Scotland. I am excited to get more ideas for uh, rom-coms to watch uh, after reading the book. Oh, wait. Okay, I found the movie and it's The Decoy Bride starring David Tennant, Alice Eve, and it was Kelly McDonald. Ah. That's the girl from Nanny McPhee. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> your book sounds good. <laughs> and everyone should watch The Decoy Bride. Uh, my current read is The Lincoln Conspiracy <laughs> because um, it's The Lincoln Conspiracy, uh, The Secret Plot to Kill America's 16th President and Why It Failed by Brad Meltzer and Josh Mensch. This is about when Lincoln was traveling to his inauguration and there was a plot in Maryland um, to assassinate him and the Pinkerton Detective Agency helped uh, basically smuggle him into D.C., and it's Brad Meltzer is a, a novelist, so it's yeah. interesting because it's a, not a very long book and it has like eighty something chapters. <laughs> <laughs> but it's he's writing it with a historian, and I like it. I'm doing it again on audiobook. I think I'm just going to do all my Lincoln stuff on audio. Love and um, I'm, I'm again, this is part of my trying to get like a 360 as much as possible on Abraham Lincoln, the greatest man who ever lived. <laughs> No, I'm going to have a nuanced, a nuanced view of him. This is the point. 
This is going to become a Lincoln fan podcast. Oh my gosh, that would be so cool. <laughs> All right. <laughs> In conclusion, you can find us on social media. I am at It's Alice Time, and Kim is at Kim the Dork. Our amazing audio editing for this episode was done by Jen Zink. And if you have a few minutes, we would love it if you would take the time to rate and review the podcast, either on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, That way people can find us more easily, and you can follow us there so you get new episodes the very minute that they come out. With that, I'm Kim Ukra. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast. 